VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And, you know, going back to 100 years ago when I played it, you know, when Mark Eller and myself were 10 and 12, it, you know, that, that's, that sort of worked. We were, mm. we were players that complemented each other, a little bit different, but we really worked together well. And but mind you, Michael, when you did that experiment uh, for the first time at Twickenham, you were only up against Barnsley. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Morning, everybody. Welcome to The Ruck, a weekly Times and Sunday Times podcast. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks for downloading us. And thanks for sticking by us. There's so much to cover today. Uh, I won't be spending too long introducing the guests. Michael Liner is our, is our first guest today. The last time I tried to go through his achievements, uh, that was the end of the podcast. So um, he's here today, um, in fact, come down about 11 floors to join us. So he's, he's as selfless as ever. Uh, the way he pushed that lift button and um, exerted himself was fantastic. And also still, in my opinion, one of the finest, if not the finest, TV analyst of uh, of rugby thanks uh, David has, Thank been, has been for 19 years um, also second uh, Sarah Mopford of Rugby World one of the most uh, liked and respected and I mean this very seriously uh, journalists anywhere in the game uh, very popular apart from one day every month the day when Rugby World contributors are meant to have filed their copy and by a staggering uh, uh, coincidence today's the day no so Friday on, was the day Steve no, Friday no, look, we day. put it back till today and on that one day she gives up all her normal characteristics and revels under the name Satan so Satan welcome to the podcast today We've also got Alex Lowe with The Times, my great pal and great writer. Alex, today in The Times, was predicting a big punch-up in this morning's, that's Monday morning's, uh, scrum versus scrum contest between England and Wales. And uh, Alex, what position did you play in your career? Um, both sides of the front row and, <laughs> and in the middle of it. <laughs> I know, I, I, I knew you'd expanded. So actually, finally, you've admitted that you only want it to be scrum versus scrum yeah. and there's nothing else to it, which is actually a very attractive feature of rugby when it's like that. Um, everybody would have seen the Barbarians, 63,000 of you at Twickenham on Saturday uh, in person and many more on the television. Very odd game. Uh, was it 25 uh, New Zealanders started? A few more came on. A couple of Aussies and a very, very few South Africans. Um, we all love the Barbars, or we're supposed to. Mike, um, what was going on on Saturday? Where are the Barbarians going? It was an interesting question, Stephen, because I think the uh, you know there's a great crowd there. It's a great crowd. And I think a big draw card of that was the fact that the All Blacks were playing there and, um, you know, 
but there was really their second team that was out there and you know they were a bit rusty and the Barbars competed very well which is terrific to see but this question's been going on for a little while now about what is what is the Barbars role in in world rugby and that started back when the sort of professionalism came along and it really is sort of a bit of an anomaly at the moment of how it fits in there I would have you know, I, there's a great tradition yet there, and, and rugby needs to hold on to the, those sort of traditions. That it's sort of what makes the game special. I may, I'd like to see the barbarians sort of used and maybe taken over by World Rugby, who who can use those sort of players who are well known, etc., um, and use the barbarians as a developmental sort of um, PR tool. Uh, around the world, um, the game on Saturday was a success because people liked it. It was it was entertaining. It was competitive and all that sort of thing. But as you've quite rightly alluded to, it didn't really mean anything, and really probably didn't mean to a lot of the players out there either. So, but you know, people liked it. it was good entertainment. Um, but really, is that the best use of the great brand barbarians that we can go? Um, that, that we can use at the moment. Sarah, great tradition or something past its sell-by date. It's definitely a great tradition. I mean, even though there were 63,000 people there, I didn't think the atmosphere was that great. Like, the fact they started doing a Mexican wave after about 45 minutes tells you everything. Um, I think that game was a money-making exercise for New Zealand. They need more money to keep their players in New Zealand. By staging that fixture as their 125th anniversary of the NZRU, they got a few more dollars in their bank account as they will from that midweek fixture against a French 15 in a week and a half so I think that's the problem is how you like Michael says use it in the right way the fact there were no northern like English players in that they sang God Save the Queen before and there's no English players in the lineup but why should English yeah. clubs release them mm. at that point they've got to schedule it at a good time for everyone that they can get a good so mix. you're attacking the national anthem now it's <laughs> <laughs> very sorry. controversial there's just one point um, that I'd like to make also you know we're talking a lot about player welfare and all that sort of thing as well and you know the players are saying they're playing too much and what have you and you know, I tend to agree with that a little bit but you know as soon as there's a, a money involved um, players turn out for the barbarians pretty quickly and they don't have any shortage of players that putting their hand up and saying, I'll come and play. Um, you know, it's just there just seems to be a little bit of a contradiction there. Yeah, and that's like New Zealand argue a lot about player welfare, and yeah. then they've put two extra schedule, like games in the schedule. Uh, and then New Zealand complained that there's no English people in it when they're contracted to clubs, and the last thing the clubs want is for their players to get injured in, in another game. Alex, where, where, where are we with the Barbers? Well, it, it is, Mark is right, it is an anomaly, and, and I think you can see how the professional side of the game um, particularly in England, view it when, uh, I mean, quite rightly, as, as you said, the clubs weren't going to release players. Eddie Jones wasn't going to release George Cruz to play for the Barbarians when he could have been in, in camp and preparing for, for England's autumn. But also, as soon as the RFU realised that they weren't playing the All Blacks and there might be an opportunity to try and steal the game off, off the Barbarians, they tried to do so. Mm. And I think the, the RFU were concerned that 63,000 um, fans buying tickets for that game might be buying for that game rather than England Samoa uh, and they, they, they try to hijack the, the fixture which shows a distinct lack of respect for the Barbarians and, and, and to me that shows where 
they they fit at the moment in the in the kind of professional scheme of things they, in England. I agree totally. And as Michael said, you know, there are so many places that would love a visit by the barbarians. Yeah. You know, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, Georgia, Romania, where teams never go anymore or don't seem to. The only trouble is then that the, the, the income would be so much smaller and the pull on the players w- would not would not be so big. So it's difficult. Uh, I mean, I just can't help but think sixty three thousand or not that they're on the on the way out. Mm. I just I think last Sarah. year they went to the Czech Republic and like that's the sort of thing where yeah. you know it's unique yeah. you can spread the brand that way but I think it's just hard to get the release of a good enough players these days and that's the whole player welfare versus money argument Sure, at the centre of do, everything in rugby at the moment. I do know that people listening to this, there will be there will be a big dissent because people do still love them. They love that black and white jersey and people wearing mm. your club socks. But Alex, and just actually in passing, just one more rather odd thing: the Anglo Welsh Cup. Uh, what, mm. I want to see what the Barbarians are all about. What's that all about? There was a, a forty-seven twenty-eight uh, result on the weekend and a fifty-three forty-one. Um, it sounds a little bit like the first the first days of Super Rugby. Those, uh, <laughs> those. Um, it was entertaining. <laughs> lots of tries. Alex, what, uh, just before we go on, what, where's the Anglo-Welsh in the whole scheme of things? It's a development competition. It's it's mm. a it's a chance when when the international window is is in operation when when the best players are away for the next generation to get games. And actually, the way that that the Premiership is at the moment, the A League is. They're trying to expand it, but they don't, the squads aren't big enough. These games are, are crucial for um, you know, England under twenties, England under eighteens, who are coming through and then hit that glass ceiling. The kind of the, the, the buddy system that Nigel Melville wanted with Premiership clubs and Championship clubs hasn't really taken hold. That there is a dual registration loan system, but these players need games, and mm. and the Anglo Welsh does give them an opportunity, um, and also. It gives coaches an opportunity. So a lot of clubs give, um, Saracens, I think, give Joe Shaw the head coaching responsibilities for, for the Anglo-Welsh. It gives them a chance to step up a bit. Um, sure. Yeah, so Worcester it, have done that with Sam Vestey last It's a completely season. development competition. Mm. And, and it, it does it does have a place, because if you only have the Premiership and nothing else, where does the the promising 19-year-old prop get any games? I to- totally agree. I think for coaches and players, it's excellent. Um, we let out one of our inside people, the Chiefs, the Sunday Times Sport Chief Sub on. He went out on Sunday. He's never been outside before. But uh, <laughs> he's not in really a rugby fan, but he really enjoyed the Saracens um, mm. Harlequins. After I got him a free ticket, and a car park passed mine. But, um, <laughs> last minute try by that, didn't it? It was a last minute try. I, I just think it is something to go and, rock, to go and watch. I think it, it's, worth, um, it's worth a look. It sounds like defences are optional in that competition. This, this season as well, it, looking it, at those scorelines. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Let's move on because we've got a massive programme of uh, England-Argentina kicking off uh, the Autumn Internationals, but I think there's about 20 games in all. Um, before we go to uh, Michael about the to talk about the Kenya-Russia game in Hong Kong <laughs> on the weekend. Um, all over that one. I know. Well, so Germany-Brazil as well. G- yep. Germany-Brazil's on. There is England-Argentina. Sarah... Um, Usually at this stage of the season, we know roughly what the England team is going to be. Or in fact, we know mostly what it's going to be. Too much up in the air at the moment. Who Could you could you put your hand on your heart and name 10 definite starters for England? Probably not, because Eddie Jones is in charge and you never know what Eddie's going to do. No. I mean, we've, for the last, you know, ever since Eddie's been in charge, it's been like Ford Farrell. But even now there's talk of, are they going to try Farrell with someone else at 12? Because they're... You know, Ben Teo's out, Manu Tuilangi's out. There's so many things up in there. I think that's the same with all the home nations. If you look at the number of uncapped players in the squads, people are obviously using this autumn as a chance to finally, like, 
probably see this as a final chance to blood people ahead of the World Cup. Hmm. But I could name, say, 11 of the starting Welsh team against Australia, but could you name could 11? Could you? Yes. Who are you having in the centres? The, the, those those <laughs> the two, one of the two, <laughs> two I couldn't name. Michael, um, you, you've always been, you've had great experience of Eddie Jones. Um, we're still in that phase where if Eddie said, um, yes, I've got a great idea, I'm going to play Maru Itoji at fly half, <laughs> but everyone would say, oh, blimey, what a great idea, revolutionary, but is it is it incoherent or is he is he is he doing a, is he keeping people on their toes? What's happening at the moment? I'm, I don't think quite he, get it. I think he knows exactly what he's doing um, within the framework that he's got in terms of who's available, etc. He's just not letting you guys know. <laughs> I mm. think keeping his team guessing as well. He's keep he loves that sort of competing for positions and you know people thinking that you know oh, I'm not really I'm not cemented in the team I've got to keep pushing and then that giving the opportunities to the ones that are underneath say the the, the, the supposed first selection guys so I think there's I think he, he does know what he's doing and I, th- I think actually he will um, pick his what he perceives to be his best available team for the Australian game. Okay, Alex, where are we? Um, do you agree that, um, it's, first of all, as Michael hints, it's good to keep your, keep your players on their toes or would, would they actually rather have the confidence of knowing they're going to play? And how do you see his Eddie selection against Argentina? So he is he loves the creative friction. He, he, he just believes that that brings the best out of those around them, keeping them on their toes, uncertain, uncomfortable. And he wants them to get used to being uncomfortable, whether it's... Um, in selection or in the in the middle of a game, and that that Italy game was was quite an important day for the development of this team, or, or certainly the direction that their training is now going in, because um, they realised that they they were out in, in the middle of Twickenham and didn't have any answers. Um, in terms of selection for this autumn, it it, it is you, usually you can you can get a, a a decent idea of where Eddie's thinking is. Um, in, in this occasion, it's tough because he he is also trying to factor in how to deal with his Lions, his returning Lions. Some of whom, I mean, Owen Farrell had a few weeks off at the start of the season, but then Anthony Watson was told pre-season he wasn't going to play this autumn. So he's played throughout for Bath, and now suddenly England are struggling for, for injuries on the wing, and he, he may have to play. Yeah. Um, I think I think Eddie's using it... Um, he doesn't mind that situation, and you'll hate this, Steve, I know, but he... He doesn't mind it if he doesn't play Marrow for, for a couple of reasons. And I'll pick Marrow as an example. One, he what he would like to a lot of his players to spend a month doing fitness work because he was down in New Zealand for a week in the summer and doesn't believe England are where they need to be fitness-wise to win the World Cup. And he wants them to he quite happily not play them and have them and, and beast them for a month fitness-wise. Um, secondly, he's got young players who he really likes to look of. And this is a bit you won't like, but Nick Izzyekwi, Charlie Yules, to pick two from the from the second row in, in a position where England have a, a lot of depth already. And if he this autumn, not being the toughest, is an, is a good opportunity for him to build that next tier, so he can go to so he can go to the World Cup. And if he loses, take the front row. If he loses Mako, he can go to the World Cup knowing he's got Joe Marler and Ellis Genge, experienced enough. To, to hold their own in, in that environment and this is an opportunity for him to do that but it's not an experimental autumn by any stretch and I'm sure as Michael says when it comes to the, the, the crunch against the Wallabies that will be his strongest team OK uh, yeah you're absolutely right I don't agree with that so, so, um, <laughs> Sarah, Sarah Argentina um, everyone's favourite second team uh, I spoke to Felipe Contopome last week and um, put, put to him that they've lost their heritage of scrummaging and, and, and power 
and they've got been sucked into a kind of expansive game which doesn't suit them and I think he in a way uh, acknowledged that that was true but um, nothing like what they were at the last World Cup his team well when you talk about the fact they've been sucked into this expansive game that is what got them to the semi-finals of the World Cup in 2015 they just had a better scrum platform to build on I think you know, there's still the issue with Argentina, which is one of your favourites. The fact there's st- there's two, a lot of their players are overseas that they can't pick now because of their new policy. Um, so then, you know, someone like Facundo Issa is not available to them. But I think they haven't deserted the scrum. Maybe just other teams have got better and they haven't quite got the same platform that they had two years ago or in 2007 when they were so good. Although then they didn't have any expansiveness behind them either. They're caught between two stools, aren't they? They. They, they, they've set up the Super Rugby franchise and decided to only pick players based there because they felt that it was the best way to develop a, a style of play and a, and a unity and, a, and an ethos around that team. But in doing so, they've then not picked at least a, a third of what would be their first choice 15. And you're talking top-end players, you know, Fagallo, Bosch, Imhoff, mm. Facundo Issa. So does, does the benefit of having a team that's being beaten every week in Super Rugby outweigh not picking five of the best players they've got? Absolutely not. Of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. Mike, it's, it'd be really ridiculous to, to move on from England without asking you about the eternal midfield triangle. Mm. Um, it, it's, it's basically the men in City. You would, could say a Ford and Farrell outside him, and then you've got... Um, uh, Daly or uh, Joseph or, or Teo, something like that. Um, do you see George Ford as uh, England's fly half throughout the season and up until the World Cup? Is that set in stone or is the sheer eminence and the excellence of Farrell always going to put pressure on him? That's an interesting question because, you know, it's been a successful sort of... Um, it's worked, you know, having... George Ford and Farrell at, at 10 and 12. That, that's worked, and they know what they can do there. But, you know, a little bit to what Alex said earlier, you know, there may be injuries and what have you. Should we move Owen to 10 and then try an, a different 12 and try and work that a difference with different centres? Um, you know, I, I just seem to think that George Ford and Owen Farrell's worked and that seems to be a good combination. The halfback also with, you know, whether it's Youngs, mostly Youngs, but or with care, there that, that seems to be pretty settled. And that fulcrum of the team, if it's settled and it's working, I think that that needs to look to be actually, that's the, that's the anchor. You know, then you can build things around that and he knows what they can do, the goal kicking's covered, all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. But having said that, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he, he experiments um, throughout this sort of uh, autumn international period. I, I do, I do uh, to answer your question, I do really like George Ford at 10 mm. and it works with Owen Farrell. They complement each other very well and they work together very well. Alex, uh, Dylan Hartley, um, we always love writing about him for all sorts, all his antics and his <laughs> excellence and his captaincy. Mm. Will he start the season and will he end the season as England hooker and captain? Yes. Okay. He'll definitely start the season as England hooker and captain. Mm. And... Um, at the moment, I can't see that changing from just from, from talking to Eddie Jones and understanding what he, how he wants his captain and hooker to be, and also how he views Jamie George. Um, I, I, Dylan Hart would absolutely be the starting hooker going into the autumn, and it's up to Jamie George to, to persuade Eddie Jones that he's got the the ability to to make the impact for eighty minutes, which is what what Eddie Jones doubts about him at the moment, um, mm. despite his. His game, it's probably the second test in, in New Zealand in the summer, was 
which the game that Jamie George says was his, his that's his benchmark that's his best ever mm. game um Eddie Jones is not convinced he can do it for long enough from the well, start. Is it not up to someone else to come through as a backup hooker? Because that's the problem: is they've only got those two, and with someone like Cowan Dickey injured again, well, they the, just haven't got anyone. The, the third person. That's also the issue about: do you want Dylan coming on for twenty minutes at the end, or do you want him on for an hour at the start? But also the other issue in this is you've got to throw in the captaincy as well, because yeah. you know if you've got a captain that's coming off twenty minutes with the game to go, you know, the most crucial twenty minutes of the game to go, um, so you know maybe there needs to be. Um, a time during this autumn international period where captaincy is given maybe to somewhere else. Now that that sounds quite cheap, and I, I, I'm I'm a I'm a bit like you know every international you should almost yeah. pick your best team available and pick your best captain and play it because internationals are important. But now, you know, on the petard of getting ready for the World Cup in two years' time, um, there's got to be things like you know well if if Dylan's injured or he's, and for some reason his form drops, who's going to be the captain? Mm. Because under the Eddie J- uh, Jones regime, that's the only only captain that's been in the it squad. Is, yeah. So I was in Portugal last week talking to Jason Riles, who's the Melbourne Storm coach who's yes, been working with yeah. England. We talked about various things, but one thing he he was in for a week a year ago and a week now, and he just talked about Owen Farrell, and he said that there was a leader then, and 12 months on, and I think that Lions tour has probably been a, well, has definitely been a big experience for him. He picked he picked Owen Farrell out as a yeah, and I don't think there's any I don't leader. think there's any doubt that Owen Farrell's probably the next yeah. cab off the rank. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Let's just crack on them. While we're on the subject of Australia, actually Wales, Australia, Wales making yet another attempt to start off the autumn series well. Uh, they're just really, really poor in getting themselves together. They all seem to be far more focused for the Six Nations. Um, but when you, again, when you look at the team on paper, it is more uh, grooved in. Uh, it's certainly not old. Uh, missing Sam Warburton, but um, still with 11 in of Lions test players uh, throughout the team. Um from uh, Liam Williams, uh, Toby Falatau, obviously, um, no Warburton, but uh, Alan Wynne Jones, they, they really have uh, uh, Jonathan Davis, who is magnificent. They do have this um, this spine throughout the team. Sarah, um, we always say there's no excuse. There's certainly no excuse for Wales not to be highly competitive and probably not to win on, to win on Saturday, surely. Yeah, well, they'll de- be desperate. They've been trying to beat Australia for nearly a decade. 
12, 12 successive defeats. I think they always seem to have quite close... Well, last year they actually got hammered, but they usually have quite close games against mm. the Wallabies. You're right, they've got loads of experiences, and there's some interesting things, like are they going to pick Liam Williams on the wing or where he's been playing for Saracens, or at fullback where he excelled for the Lions, or stick with Lee Halfpenny at fullback? I think they'll probably stick with Lee Halfpenny at fullback. Um, but, yeah, like Alex was saying about the second playmaker option given that Scott Williams wasn't in the original squad, he was released back to the Scarlets this weekend, it makes you think that they are going to go for bigger with Priestland or maybe even Owen Williams. Owen Williams, yeah. Yeah, mm. who has played there for Leicester. So I think it'll be very interesting to see what they do. And, they've, you know, Australia have done them a favour giving Falau a little rest this November. So he's at home mm. having a little holiday. So <laughs> it's a bonus. I mean, it does mean they'll probably play Beal at fullback, but... Well, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, at last there looks like there's a generation of props coming through. Wynne Jones and Leon Brown, to me, very young. They certainly won't be playing on Saturday, but they just look like uh, the backup the Wales are needed for so long. I just think Wales is not good enough up front, um, at least, and, and don't have the depth. But um, Michael, Australia, uh, they've beaten New Zealand, which is, it, it, may, it may be a one-off, but that's a heck of a one-off to beat New Zealand. That's a yes. massive one-off. Um uh, there's been so much doom and gloom, financial problems. They seem like Czech is just getting back hold of them again. I, I, I agree with you. I think he has. Um, it's been. It was a sort of a diff- disappointing sort of first part of the season for Australian rugby. Um, I'm talking on the field, off the field. Sort of is another um, problem that sort of continues. But on the field, you know, particularly in the international sort of the May June window, there they didn't play well. They didn't play well. And then the first half of the first game in the in the rugby championship against New Zealand was was terrible. I mean, mm. it really was poor. But then when you look at what happened there, you had New Zealand who were coming off the back of a Lions tour and uh, who played you know pretty tough sort of stuff, and they were also involved in all the Super Rugby playoffs into that first test. So they were really charged up. You look at the majority of the Australian team; some of them hadn't played for three or four months. Will Genius, Beal, those guys who were very important to the team hadn't played for three or four months most of them hadn't played for about three or four weeks and so they were undercooked and that the lesson from that was that you don't go into playing the best team in the world and you haven't played rugby for a couple of months and that showed but since that half of rugby Australia's played very very well since then and haven't got the results. We lost the second test against New Zealand and we probably should have won down in Dunedin. Two draws against South Africa where, you know, both teams were disappointed that they didn't win it. They both had their opportunities. And then to finally beat the All Blacks was a real watershed moment for Australian rugby. Um, now they've got, there's a team there that actually have belief that, oh, oh, we can do it. I do think they've turned the corner. Alex, um, if Australia are almost back to their best, it doesn't have transformed the prospects for the whole autumn, but mm. um, how do you see Wales-Australia? Uh, your question, Sarah, should, should Wales be be thinking of winning that game? They absolutely mm. should be thinking of winning that game. Just, you just went through the, the spine of that team um, Australia are, are, are getting their, their act together but I think at home um, starting the autumn Wales should should absolutely be thinking they should win this game absolutely. Australia might be a bit knackered having just flown in from Japan as well but they have got they've had a, they have had a game have had a hit out uh, as they call it yeah yeah, they have played in Japan. Okay. Wales, have, Wales have had their training session against England. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. Uh, New Zealand uh, are not playing the Barbas this week. It might be slightly different in tone. They're playing in Paris. Um, Alex, uh, sounds like a massive game. Um, France 
I've been in the news lately, but is their team any better? Certainly when you see Claremont, you can't believe that anyone, any French team could ever be bad. But New Zealand, huge favourites, would you say? Yeah, I would say. Um, I think they have a cohesion about them. Whether, well, I mean, he's, he's rotating his squad a lot this year, Hans, and he's used a, a lot more players than any other mm. any other. God, he's catching. He's catching. Yeah. <laughs> People, he should announce a squad of 100 players now. But he, he, despite that, they'll have a cohesion that I just don't, see in France at the moment and, and, and I think there's a I had a long chat with Toby Flood about about French players and, and the, the mindset and they, because of the length of their season they just get into this sort of they all, they're just used to performing at 65% week on week and they never strive to get any better than that hmm. and I think that's where they so on their day they can click and it can be great and it's, it is a cliche thing but it's I just think that they they will always lack cohesion and I think they will do very well to get get close to the All Blacks, and they're then playing them again on Tuesday in a in a non-cap game, um, another money spinner for, for for the All Blacks. Um, and I just I don't think they have the depth to to come close. Sarah Fran- France, are, is there any um, signs? I mean, Camille Lopez is uh, out at fly half. Maybe wasn't all that good anyway. But are there <laughs> any signs of them coming together? They make a lot of noise about the World Cup, not so much about their first team. Well, they. Um Lost to South Africa 3-0 in the summer, which I think, given Mm. what we've seen from South Africa this season, would suggest that, no, they're not in that great shape. I mean, uh, Virumi Vakatao has been playing really well at 13 this season, but I think he's now banned for the whole autumn. So... There's, they just, they've got a lot of players, but then they mix it around so much. They, like Alex was saying, there, while New Zealand have loads of continuity, even when they are, you know, playing more, picking more players than they ever have before. France just seem to mix it up every week and don't get any continuity going. So yeah, I don't. I think they'll lose both those games to New Zealand. Mike, uh, France, I think in the last sort of six or seven years, have averaged less than fifty percent. I mean, that's completely indefensible, isn't it, for a country rugby country like that? Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting one because you look at what's happening with their club system over there and the influx of foreigners, etc. It seems to have disturbed the whole sort of uh, balance of French rugby, and um, you know what was discussed earlier Sarah said it there that you know all blacks seem to have a plan everybody seems to know what's going on they've all bought into that and they're all part of it whereas France is the complete antithesis to that mm. nobody knows what's going on don't know, you know players who are you know what am I doing there doesn't seem to be any real plan there and you know I just feel that it's it's a real shame that French rugby isn't what it used to be in terms of competitiveness on an international stage. I, t- I totally agree with that, and I I love foreign players because I imagine I'm a dad taking my kids and think of you know Michael Liner, Philippe Sella, <laughs> or, or is is playing today, or you know whoever they may be. The trouble is with France, it's all foreign players, and mm. some of them are not very good. I mean, yeah. some of them are those Samoans they get and the and the. Pups. Pacific Islanders they seem to be eating pies for the last two years uh, Al- Alex France you talked about um, their obsession with the World Cup and, and Bernard Lepore came out and, and slated World Rugby for um, for, for, picking, well, for, for recommending South Africa said it was incompetent of them uh, when you talk about the the top 14 and, and the World Cup and, and the France team there is a connection there because one of the big selling points that France put forward for why they should host the World Cup was because it would help them to reduce the number of foreigners in the top 14 mm, nice, um, nice so they wanted the World Cup in order to generate money that would uh, that would give them power over the top 14 and, and prevent the clubs from signing foreign players which just seemed a very bizarre 
logic that if you know if you've got a problem with your national team because there are you don't have enough homegrown players coming through, don't bid for the World Cup to try and f- use that no, as exactly. a solution. It's a bit like, yourself. It's a bit like Ireland saying we'll use our diaspora to get the. Uh, to, <laughs> well, if you're going to do that, why not do it if you don't get the World Cups? So I mean, just, just, just France and the top fourteen. What they do as well is that all the lot of those foreign players are all in the same position. So like, yeah, so, yeah like absolutely. on the wings, they've got every club's got a Georgian prop. So where are the French props mm, coming mm, from? Mm. Fly half. Most of them are overseas players like there's a lot of Kiwis over yeah, there playing for yeah. half so they it's not that they've just got the foreigners it's like they then dominate those positions so they can't bring through their Very own players Sarah can we just just move to Dublin which is never never a hardship Ireland South Africa um, again huge stakes for both teams there Ireland uh, South Africa maybe coming back slightly but where are Ireland at the moment and how do you expect things to go there I think Ireland will want to win well they, they should expect to win all three games this autumn They've got mm. South Africa, Fiji and Argentina. They lost their series out there last summer, but I think they sh- you know, they've beaten New Zealand in the past year. They should definitely go into this wanting to win that game. South Africa aren't what they were. It's like one of South Africa's key players, Elton Yanches, talking about player welfare versus money, being in Japan. Now he's flying in this week to join up with the squad in Dublin. So it's sort of, they're sort of a bit all over the shop. The sort of selections I'm really interested in Will CJ Stander or Jack Conan play at number eight? Conan was really good for Ireland on the summer tour. It's done really well for Leinster while Heaslip's been out injured. They could pick both, obviously, and play Stander at six, but I'll just be really interested to see who gets the nod there. And mm. obviously, Bundyaki's likely to make his debut in the centre with Henshaw. It's sort of that Connacht midfield mm. partnership from a couple of years ago because Gary Ringrose is injured. The whole bat line could be different. I mean, there's no, there's no Zebo. Anymore, there's no pause. bow, I'm there's really no trimble. I'm in the back three. Um, mm. The whole kind of outside backs is it's going to have a very, you know, so I mean, Stockdale's a really exciting player. And Keith Earls are still there, Rob Carney's still still around, but um, that midfield combination, like you said, I imagine that's the one they'll go for. It just, don't quite know what that, if that comes together, um, then then they, they should have a good chance of beating the box. Yeah. What they need, mm. though, is to give their scrum half some more game yeah. time because Conor Murray is just so dominant in that position he's just been named Rugby Writers of Ireland Player of the Season and Marmion and Luke McGrath looking up Marmion's only started four of his 16 tests and McGrath started one of his four if you go to a World Cup and Conor Murray gets injured which is what happened in the Six Nations last year you've got to put one of those in and in a way that's when you this series maybe they need to okay you play Murray against South Africa but you give the other two a go against Fiji and Argentina it, it is difficult when, you, when you've got one person who's totally dominant because it's a bit like me at the Sunday Times because it's very difficult to f- follow that person if I should fall ill <laughs> if I should seriously if I should fall ill there'd be absolutely hell to play Alex Potter's <laughs> already rung me he's got me lined up as um, I can come in as a sub Anytime. You couldn't take the pay cut. <laughs> Michael, uh, you, you, where, where are South Africa? You study them closely in the, in the rugby championship. Yeah. Uh, are, are they coming back? Uh, are they in an even bigger pickle because they're trying to uh, pick, um, understandably, non-white players? Is the coach right? Uh, have they lost their power legacy? Where, where do they stand? All very simple questions, uh, Stephen, <laughs> that I can answer very quickly. Now, um, I actually think that they are coming back, but it, the, some of the results don't reflect that. Um, you know, they drew against Australia twice and they were good games and close, and but they, they are sort of in 
parts playing reasonably well and then they go down to New Zealand get beaten by 50 points and then the following week they play really well so at home you know so it's sort of it's going to be interesting to see how they come up here and play because I, I do feel they've got some good young players I do feel they're starting to look to play more expansive sort of rugby etc that we've always talked about doing rather than just bashing it away and um, I hope that sort of continues to use some of those players that are doing that so it's it's a really interesting autumn for them um, and a really important one because they need a bit like Australia they need some results to actually give them confidence and get their pub the public off their backs a little bit um, to actually say okay we're heading in the right direction sure sure um, we shouldn't forget Samoa and Scotland Samoa have got a big part to play in this autumn um, rather impoverished in terms of well just impoverished um, been asking for handouts or donations which is very very sad and i hope they get them scotland we keep on saying their revival's around the corner and it's remained around the corner but this scottish squad to me looks like it has depth uh it has fewer weaknesses i think xander ferguson would be loads better this year than he was last year ferguson. And, and, and ferguson i think he in two years time he'll be excellent because he's taken all those hammerings and i think he's the future of Scottish scrummaging. They haven't got a past, so they might as well have a, fu- have a future. <laughs> but I, I think, and also they've got to play Australia, who they've got the wood on at the moment. Yes, they Scotland have. have the they wood have on Australia. Uh, and you know, they say there's sixty odd thousand tickets gone for Scotland Samoa, which, which is fantastic. Come on, no one would begrudge Scotland a revival. It's long overdue. Uh, Samoa Scotland, Alex. Um, surely uh, Scotland have to kick off with a big win. How bad do we feel about Samoa? Uh, well, Scotland should kick off with a big win, and I feel that we should feel very bad about Samoa and and all the the Pacific Islands. We had I mean Ben Ryan outlined it brilliantly when he mm. came on the podcast the other week, and n- none of us can really add, add any more to, to what he he said that day. But if if the, the World Game cannot look after the Pacific Islands um, and, and the, the players that that that, that, that it, part of the world gives to the game, then um, then it's a disgrace. And and to I understand how the finances work, and if you're the host nation, you don't, you're not obliged to give any money. But if if a country, I don't know how much Scotland will make from hosting Samoa, but England would make about ten million pounds. Um, Be interesting if um, the SRU gave them some money. Shame the RFU into giving. Well, it would, and, I, and I hope they do. I hope they do. Are we looking forward to this autumn like we used to, or are there just too many games, Alex? Uh, I'm not as excited about it as I have been pre- previous autumns. I don't know if that's just because. On the back of the Lions tour, it's hard to hit those heights again. I think with England, because they're looking at chopping and changing a bit, they don't seem. You just it's it's hard to feel like it's the it's the big thing coming up from an England perspective. Um, I love watching having the. I love the international being on, having the, the countries over. But you know, like there's a large element to it, which is they're just trying to to squeeze as much money out of it mm. as possible, which takes the gloss off for me as well. Um, and it's a shame that this autumn doesn't feel as big as it has done. But, it, but for me, it doesn't. Sarah, are you, are you excited or is it just another autumn in set of internationals? I think I agree with a lot of what Alex has said there. I'm probably like more excited to see some of the Tier 2 games. Like there's a, World Rugby have done a really good job. So like Brazil are coming over to play a load of games in Europe. Chile have got games. Like there's so many games below the top level that actually that's where you can sometimes see the surprise results. And just mm. I think it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. But I agree, I think, because there's so much... 
I mean, it's, it will be interesting to see how the teams settle and who comes in and makes an impact because they all look like they're going to have a few changes. For, for me, I'm 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 happy that Australia are coming over and I can get to see them play and what have you. And I'm, but I'm terribly, always terribly nervous when England play Australia. Living in London here, that you know, if if um, England win, um, it's a pretty tough week for me. Um, <laughs> and so therefore, I become very very nervous and very supportive of my home country. Um, not that I'm. Not normally, but even more so. How's the personal line of family England Development Service coming on for uh, the future of English rugby? It's going well. My my 14-year-old son, just I'm very pleased to... He got selected in the Harlequins Academy as well. So the production line for English rugby is really going along nicely. Did you you and Mrs Lyon not think of having any, any forwards, though, because... No, my boys. There's a there's a law that says that if they want to play rugby, they've got to wear double figures on their back. Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, they don't, they go and play something else. We should mention, actually, of course, that uh, Wales, England and Canada are playing a three-test series in the women's game. And uh, uh, Rachel Burford, our guest a few weeks ago, not only captain the Harlequins and fly half, but they have played seven and won seven, got a bonus point in every one. So. Um, she's not looking any less like rugby royalty than she did when she joined us recently. Rugby World Cup issues. Uh, um, I was favouring France for 2023, but now in terms of morality, it's got to be South Africa because they have been through the most rigorous process imaginable. Uh, they've come out ahead and it shouldn't be down now to dodgy deals in clubhouses or in corridors. Um, so they should be there. I think the Irish bid was very much exposed Sarah, you've always been a vocal opponent of uh, it's the, the tier two teams always have the dodgy fixtures. I'm glad you added that bit at the end because it sounded like I was a vocal opponent of the tier two teams. Yeah, yeah, no, we know you're not. No, I just think it's refreshing that there's been further improvements in 2015 of the turnaround. So I think England's first two games is a four day turnaround and they've got to move cities. So they're sort of experiencing what. Japan experienced four, two years ago when they had to go from South Africa to Scotland with such a short turnaround. Eddie's got all that experience he can draw on. But I think it's refreshing to see that some of those bigger teams have got the shorter turnarounds. I know that TV dictates that they all want to play at weekends, but it should be fair for all. And there's still horrible turnarounds for Tier 2, but they specifically made it so they won't have a short turnaround before playing a Tier 1 game, which I think is only fair. I've actually, seriously, been learning conversational Japanese for 2019. And this morning at London Bridge Station, I met a Japanese woman who wanted to get on the train to Hastings, and I safely put her on the train to Hastings using my fragmentary Japanese. I think I'm... <laughs> You think I'm joking? Uh, you said you were sure, going to learn, but I'm sure she said know. Hastings. <laughs> <laughs> so why is she going north? Hastings is south. Uh, just very quickly, everybody, thanks very much to Alex Lowe, uh, Sarah Mockford, and, and Michael Liner for coming in. Really, really great to talk to you guys. Can we just have... Um, we've been a little bit downbeat in, little, in a way about the, six, about the forthcoming internationals, but great profile for the game. Alex, what are you really looking forward to? <laughs> thing. I'm yeah. looking forward to a long yeah. weekend in Monaco for the World Rugby Awards. Oh, I'm going to that as well. Yeah, me oh, too. Yeah, to that too. Oh, well, oh, oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. We're That's all looking forward to agree with that. Night out. Let's make it a big one. Alex, Alex, our producer's put his hand up as well. So, <laughs> Alex, Alex Lowe's the only one not going to that. Ma- Michael, what are you looking forward to? Um, clean, clean sweep by Australia. Right, I don't know. I don't know whether that will happen, but. I'm just looking forward to the Australian-England game. It's always a big event in our household, and I think it's, it's one of, going to be one of the games of the, the autumn. OK, just finally for me, there's no way I can look forward to anything 
this autumn because when you've seen Spurs beat Real, <laughs> beat Real Madrid in front of 90,000, nothing can ever be so good again. Thank you for listening. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.